Chuck Swindle tells the story of an English pastor who had got on the trolley Monday morning going back to his downtown study. He had paid his fare. The trolley driver gave him too much change. The pastor sat back and fumbled the change and looked it over, counted it eight or nine times. He said to himself, praise the Lord. It's wonderful how God provides. See, he was running a little short, and you know, at least this may pay for lunch that day. may not be bad, but as he was going, he wrestled with himself all the way downtown. And by the time he got to his destination, the trolley pulled to a stop. He couldn't live with himself anymore. He walked up to the trolley driver and said, Here, you gave me too much change. You made a mistake. The trolley driver said, No, I didn't make a mistake. See, I was in your church this past Sunday talking about integrity, and I was testing you. I don't like those type of tests. <laughs> kind of makes me very leery about what I say from up here. I need to make sure that I'm following through in the following week, which is a good idea regardless. I expect you to follow through with these ideas. Does, does sin affect you? Is sin, has it been a part of your life? Do you believe that there are repercussions for your sin? I mean, I would probably say all of us would say yes on there. Uh, many of us have seen repercussions of our sin. Maybe people have been hurt, either physically or emotionally. But more times than not, I would venture to say we fail to see the effect of our sin because the effect is so small. It is maybe a secret sin or maybe a white lie. No one's going to find out about it. It doesn't have the sudden impact that we feel and so, and, and either it wasn't bad enough sin, or maybe we just didn't feel that we really did anything wrong. I would venture to say that there's a lot of sins that we categorize that they're just not bad enough. And even sometimes we do think, maybe that wasn't really wrong. If no one saw it, then maybe, maybe God will ignore it. Wouldn't that be nice? Why do you think we call it a white lie? If it's just a small lie, it's a white lie, it's really not that bad. I mean, after all, when angels come, what are they dressed in? White? Surely a white lie can be a good thing. Nonetheless, even the white lie can grow. There's new, they're usually not just a one-time occurrence. I learned this the hard way. I said my mom could probably would deduce my sermon topic just from my title pretty easily. She could also know a white lie coming from my lips very easily. And so that white lie would turn into maybe not so white, maybe an eggshell, you know, turning not so white, ivory, gray, to where I'm just flat out lying to my mom trying to cover up the white lie. Isn't that how it goes? They're deliberate. There's, there's a story in Acts that we're going to be focusing on that discusses this very thing. Deliberate sin and even the effect it can have on us. Let's read Acts 4, 36 and following. Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and, and brought the money to the apostles. Chapter 5, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. When his, with his wife's consent, 
he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell and, or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you paid and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you ever think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. As I look at the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, I, I become somewhat uncomfortable with God's punishment of them. I don't know, maybe you feel the same thing. Maybe you feel a little comfortable. Maybe it's be, because I don't have the same kind of passion that God has for righteous living. Or another reason maybe because I know that if the Lord chooses, He can make the same kind of example out of me that He did Ananias and Sapphira. My sin may not seem so bad. Ananias and Sapphira's sin wasn't so bad, was it? He could make me an example. Yet, maybe another reason is this goes against everything that has been taught to me about an all-loving, all-forgiving God. No matter how it makes us feel, the truth of the story still stands. Because Ananias and Sapphira sinned, they were struck dead. Why? Why did the repercussions of this sin lead to death? That's a question that has just kind of haunted me because it seems so easy to, to, to just kind of fudge a little bit. I mean, this was, this was a good thing. They were given a portion of their money to the church. In fact, they were probably giving more than most people. That was a good thing. They didn't have to do it. Shouldn't God just be happy that they were giving money to the church? I find that troubling because that's the very thing that a lot of times that we want. We want that physical aspect. We want people to give their life physically and we think that's a good thing. They saw what Barnabas had did and he was nicknamed, well, Joseph did, and he was nicknamed Barnabas, the son of encouragement. This is a good thing. Why can't we do that too? But fire, we have a little bit of money. We have a little bit of bills. Let's just skim off the top of this. Let's take care of our bills and then give the rest to the Lord. Is that a bad thing? There are probably many reasons why this would happen, but I want to pay attention to the nature of their sin. The nature of their sin here is that they purposed in their heart beforehand to withhold some money, but to make it look like they were giving it all away. They were deliberately being dishonest deliberate sin. The Bible talks very often about deliberate sin and the repercussions of that. I mean, first of all, first off in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, 
he deliberately and purposefully killed his brother, buried him, hiding him. And because of that sin, God placed a curse on Cain, made him a restless wanderer, and caused him to labor in fruitlessness. He thought he could kill, could kill Abel and get by with it. But God did not close a blind eye to that deliberate sin. Or maybe it's the destruction of man, as we see a little bit later in Genesis 6, and, 6 through 9, that the man, man's heart was set on evil, as it says. That he was, every man except Noah, was deliberately turning away from God. So what happened? God sent a, sent a flood. That was their punishment. Or maybe a little later in Scripture with David and Bathsheba. David, as king, abused his power and slept with Bathsheba, who was someone else's wife. We can get into more details of that, but that is the nuts and bolts of it, is he abused his power, slept with another man's wife. To hide it, he had Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, killed, hoping to hide it here. He thought that if no one would find out, then maybe it would just go away. But God knew what he was doing. His punishment was the death of the son that Bathsheba carried, the firstborn son. Deliberate sin is talked about so much. This is just three examples, but there are a whole lot more. The, I guess the point with Ananias and Sapphira here is that deliberate, even secret sin will not go unpunished. No matter how hard you try to hide it, God's always going to know what's going on. Which I guess brings to some concepts we need to embrace here about this story. When you sin against another person, you actually sin against God. This is what Peter said here. You weren't lying to us, but to God. Ananias and Sapphira thought they were, may have been pulling the wool over Peter's eyes. Maybe they were getting by with it. Because that's the only reason you decide to only give part of your money and say it's the full is is to still look good. You're trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. Isn't that a good way of saying I'm trying to lie to him? That's, he's trying to lie. They're, they're trying to lie to Peter. I don't know how Peter knew that was the wrong amount, if the Holy Spirit told him, or if he saw a receipt in there somehow, or if he was friends with the, with the person that bought the land. Regardless, Peter knew. Whereas they thought they were lying to, to just man, though. They were truly lying to God. We try so hard to separate our physical life from our spiritual life. But by saying it doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect us whenever things just happen on physically, on the physical realm. It's not really affecting my inside self. We, we try to separate those two to where we even come to the point of making excuses for our sins. I don't know, maybe you've had several of these excuses for your sin yourself. While I was in college, we had one class that we'd always take prayer requests to go into a Christian college. Is you know, just kind of what you do. But before class, we'd take all these prayer requests. And the teacher there had been a minister for a long time. He's just a, a great man. All the prayer requests coming in one day were just along a similar vein of this almost excuses for sin. And he just said... He just kind of stopped and he said, you know, we talk so much about God forgiving for us or forgiving our sins and helping us through this. And he goes, the thing we forget, he goes, we bring these prayer requests to God and it's almost like a pass that we can continue doing it. We make an excuse for it. He goes, 
quit sinning. This is the easiest way to stop. Quit it. And he just kind of came out and said that. And we were all like, you can do that? It was fascinating to us at the time, but he just had such passion of saying, I think we're building a crutch here. I think we're having a crutch that we make sin an excuse. Oh, we all sin? Well, yeah. Does that give me a right to do it? Many of, us, many of us might have a healthy appreciation for the work Christ did for us on the cross, but most of us live with a weak conviction of God's utter hatred towards sin. God hates sin. We seem to think that the more we sin, that maybe the more God will forgive. Shall we continue to sin so grace may abound? Does that sound familiar? Every sin, no matter how small, comes with a price. Romans 6.23 tells us this, For the wages of sin is, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no equating of sin here. There's no difference between a big sin and a white lie, adultery and, and, and fudging a little. The wages of sin is death. God has every right to discipline his children, and that discipline takes different forms at different times. His discipline can come with maybe a gentle reminder. You shouldn't have done that. Watch out next time. His discipline may come by withholding blessings in our life. Because of this sin, you can't enter enter into the promised land. Isn't that what it was with Moses? Or his discipline may come in removing us from the situation entirely, as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. Whatever he chooses, he's right in choosing that. He's the one that has the right to discipline however he sees fit. This is God we're talking about. And we're the ones that have sinned. We are the ones that have not honored him. But why did this have to happen to Ananias and Sapphira? What did it accomplish? What was the purpose of having both of them struck dead for what we might equate as such a small sin. Aren't there bigger fish to fry, Lord? Aren't there bigger things in people's lives that are just weighing them down? Why do you have to kill Ananias and Sapphira to make a point? What is the point? Well, maybe we see here in verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. What do you think this story, whenever it got around, did for the early church? How would you like to know now that if you told a little white lie that God would could ask you your life, he could strike you dead right there. You better believe fear gripped the church because they know that they've got the exact same thing in their lives. They know that they've got the secret sin, the hidden things in their life of knowing, what do I do? If God did this to Ananias and Sapphira, I knew these people. They were good. They were giving to the Lord. What's wrong? The question that Peter poses here to Sapphira, I think is the same question that we need to pose today. How long will we continue to test the Spirit? How long? I think often... I've looked at that and I've just kind of overpassed that, that idea of testing the Spirit. 
because a lot of times in my life, I don't think of it like that. I don't think that I'm putting God to the test. Whenever I mess up, whenever I go, even for a deliberate sin, I'm not thinking that I'm testing God. More so, I'm, I'm thinking of ways that I can hide it from God. I don't think that's a test, though. But Peter says, how long will you test the Spirit of God? Do we live lives of integrity, of honesty? That's a question here with Ananias and Sapphira. The church, this is the early church. It's just getting off on its feet. Think of what maybe it would have looked like if Ananias and Sapphira were allowed to live. I said before, we know in our lives, a white lie, just a little lie, sometimes it comes back to haunt us. We have to say that little white lie again. And it grows, and it grows, and it snowballs. What kind of example would that have been in the church if Ananias and Sapphira were able to be equated with Barnabas? I think there's a reason Barnabas was who he was, called the son of encouragement. And he later on just did some great things, continued to do great things in his life. And we still talk about him today with such respect and almost as an example of what we should be. Ananias and Sapphira were people that were going down the wrong path. And an example needed to be set. Something needed to be said about it. President, uh, the, the president of the Moody Bible Institute tells a story. A young man from school taking the, was taking the streetcar to class. Before the conductor came around to take the fare, he'd gotten off at the school without paying. Later on, he realized it, and he thought, that wasn't right. I had my ride. I should pay for the fare. So he went down to the station, found the conductor, and paid him the money. The conductor said, you're a fool for doing this. The young man said, no, I'm not. I got the ride. I should pay for it. The conductor said, it's my business to collect the money. The student said, it's my business to hand it to you. Then the conductor said, I bet you belong to that Bible Institute. The president of Moody commented, I have never heard anything said about our school that made me more proud than that one thing. I bet you you're part of that group. Has anyone said, I bet you're a Christian. Because you didn't do, go along with the crowd, you didn't do what they were saying. I, I bet you're, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? Normally it's said as an insult, Right? Normally, oh, you know, you can't do that. That's an insult. But isn't that a compliment? Isn't that a compliment to God's church that Christians live lives of integrity? We live lives that are are respected? I don't know. I think a calling of a Christian is to be open, an open book, to be honest. And let others see through you. Ananias and Sapphira weren't allowing that. They pulled the wall up. And they tried to hide. Are we living with such integrity that people take notice? And they know whose we are? That they know we are Christ's. Yes, we may mess up. But we are Christ's. And you, you can call us on our mess ups. If not, what can we do? 
what can we do to avoid the fate of Ananias and Sapphira? Because we know we're all in the same boat. We know that we have our issues, we have our hidden sins in our life that we're maybe trying to get rid of. But how do we live lives of integrity to where we don't have the same fate of Ananias and Sapphira, where Christ or God calls of our, requires our life for it right there? Well, maybe first step, uh, as any recovery program says, you've got to admit that you have a problem. You come to grips with the fact that you're a sinner. We are all sinners. We know that. As we grow in our love and respect for Christ, we desire our desire for sin decreases. The more that we fill our cup with Christ, the more that we don't want to fill our cup, or have no room at least, for the sin. This may have been their problem, Ananias and Spanish's problem. Next, maybe we pray for forgiveness and cleansing. Psalm 51.10 is the psalm of created me a clean heart, O God. And renew a, a, a steadfast spirit within me. David found out that it, after he was after he was found out, actually, after the sin was exposed with Bathsheba, that was exposed. This is the psalm that he wrote. Not just okay, Lord, cover this up. Okay, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. Can you forgive this? No, he said, create in me a clean heart because the heart I have, Lord, right now is not clean. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. Please do that. I think that should be a prayer. Next is be accountable. Find a trusted, mature Christian, someone uh, who loves you unconditionally, who you can talk to uh, about sin because the longer sin stays hidden, the longer it has to develop into much bigger issues and i think that's the point with ananias and sapphira is that it was about to be a huge issue but it was stopped and that the message to the church was one of be open know god's word and pray daily if you want to know the heart of god you need to get in his word knowing the word of god holds us accountable psalm 119 11, this is david again says i hide your word in my heart that I won't sin against you. How are we going to know what, what God wants if we're not in the Word? How are we going to know if we've sinned if we haven't been told what sin is? By understanding God, we run out of excuses. We don't have those excuses anymore. And the last thing I have to maybe help you with this is avoid temptation at all costs. Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. If you're a recovering alcoholic, is it smart to go in places where you contain alcohol easily? That's what they tell you in AA, right? You come and you you say, I'm an alcoholic, and you you start the process, and they say, okay, first step, go into the bar and order water. No, stay out of it. Avoid the situations that can cause you to sin, that that lead you into temptation. Why do you think... Christ told us to pray like that. Lead us not in temptation. Ananias and Sapphira, I may not fully understand that story or the rationale or the reason of why it had to be that way. But I do understand this. I am with the early church when it says fear gripped them because of what had happened. 
that fear is still present in my life, knowing that God has a requirement for sin. To wipe out sin, death has to happen. And I'm thankful that, that Christ came and fulfilled that death for me and for you, for His church. I'm thankful that that happened. But that doesn't get me off the hook to where I can just sin more. Is there something lurking in the shadows of your soul that you need to confess to God? Is, it, is there a deliberate sin that is constantly affecting your, your life? Or maybe you're caught in a secret that you think won't harm anyone. Maybe it's even your job. There's a situation in your job that continues to ask you to be dishonest and purposefully sin. Are you constantly giving excuses for sin while maybe it hurts those close to you? Sin is rampant in this world, and when we allow it in our lives, it affects everyone, not just us. It affects those around us in such a way that I understand how hard, the reasoning that God wanted to rid it of our lives and punish Ananias and Sapphira, whatever the case may be, whatever it may be in your life, God knows. Take assurance from that. Ananias and Sapphira learned the hard way, but God knows. It is time to turn your deliberate sin over to God. Find accountability. <laughs> Grow up in the Spirit. Will you come today? Let God create a new heart within you? Come today as we stand and sing.